Good morning. It's good to see you. Excited about the passage today. Thanks, Charlie. Appreciate that. In fact, the passage that she just read is going to be the one that we use today. So if you have a Bible and you brought one with you, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, we're going to continue through the work we started last week, the series called Home But Not Home. It's Peter's address, his sermon really, to a scattered people on lockdown who are detached from each other, who are emotionally detached from themselves. They have no clear view of forward. They have lost hope in a lot of ways. And Proverbs 13 says something interesting about hope. It says that when it's deferred, it makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And it's true. When our hopes and our hungry expectations go unmet, and they maybe collapse before us, or the word deferred, they kind of get kicked down the road a little bit. It could be a bit of a hellish nightmare for all of us. 2020 did that. I mean, it was a year full of dropped hopes. It was a year full of sick hearts. And we have seen now that there's not going to be a lot of difference between 2021 and 2020, and so I know people walked in here with sick hearts. In fact, you're probably, if you're anything like me at all, a little suspicious about what you should hope in for this year. Has, have you been slow to pull the trigger on heavy expectations for this year? Or have you kind of pulled them all in? What do you do with broken hopes? What do you do with hopes that are unmet? Because they have intense power over our lives. The, the power of a hope is incredibly big. It steers us. If you want to change how somebody lives their life, just change what they hope in. That's all it takes, right? Now, when we use the word hope, we use it casually. And I don't want to fall into that trap today, right? We use it like, I hope the weather is good tomorrow. That's the way we would use the word. Like, I hope spring quickly comes because I've already had too much winter. Winter has already served its purpose for me. We got our white Christmas. I hope you're happy. I'm ready for spring, right? Or I hope that Chipotle doesn't take away their carne asada. They always take it away from us, right, when we get used to it. I hope that we, we put shallow things in that bubble. I hope, I hope, I hope. But what this is talking about is a deep, resounding desire, a really deep expectation that is hinging on something significant coming through for us. We can see it in the distance. We're hoping for it. We're banking on it. That's the hope that Peter is going to be talking about, the one you just read on the screen. And where this hope fails, our living hell begins. That's what we know about these types of hopes. We just become paralyzed because there's nothing at the end of the rainbow anymore. <laughs> so why bother, right? Who cares at this point? Even Dante, when he wrote his work, The Inferno, in describing hell, is the phrase, abandon hope, all ye who enter here. And isn't this why we experience so much depression and so much anxiety when something that we have hoped in and put heavy expectations in just kind of collapses in front of us? This is what happens. I mean, when you saw the storming of the Capitol building, whether you saw it through video, whether you watched it in real time, whenever you got the news, what you need to know, whether you agree with these people who did it or not, put that aside. Put your politics aside for just a second, okay? Because we all got opinions. I've got opinions. But mistake not, these people got up, got on a plane, and flew, many of them, from places like San Diego, Texas, Florida. They got in their cars and they drove across states. Why? Why would they do that? Why would they dress up in horns and a fur whatever or 
whatever they got from the military surplus store that day. They, they were all dressed in certain ways. They did that because they had a hope that the nation was going to look a certain way and that hope was being threatened. Their, their hope in what America was going to look like was threatened. And then you have another half of the country that is aghast at what they saw because the America that they had in mind was now being threatened. It's a powerful thing, hope, what we hope in, how it makes our decisions for us almost. There has been recent research done across 36 nations over the last 70 years. And one of the things that they found is that there's a very close correlation between global suicides and market health. So there's always a spike, what they found, there's a spike, a sudden one, in suicides that corresponds with a dip in the Dow, basically. And we all knew this, right? We could intuit that. We've heard stories of that. We know that parking your hopes and finances is a pretty dangerous thing to do. I actually found this out firsthand. The city I grew up in, Midland, Texas, it's the oil patch, I guess. I mean, I would drive to high school, I'd drive to school, and there would be pump jacks doing their job, pulling you know, petroleum out of the earth. There, it was, you could smell it in the air. It's just where I lived. And there were legends. I would hear about how people lost it all in the early 80s bust. Things were good. Oil was doing very well in the 70s. But around 81, 82, it all came apart, right? Businesses fell apart, marriages fell apart, families fell apart, and a lot of suicides in this little town of 100,000. A lot of suicides. Before this happened, everything was great. Everyone was buying, it was odd, everybody was buying the same model of Mercedes. It was a little two-door convertible. They called it the Midland Mustang. They sold more in that little town than they did anywhere else in the country. Everybody had Rolexes on. It was called the Texas Timex. One out of 15 helicopters made in North America were being delivered to West Texas. One out of 15, right? Let, let me remind you, it's a town of 100,000 people had the largest boat dealership in the country, and there was no water within hours, okay? True stories, look it up. Had one of the largest Rolls-Royce dealerships in the country. 100,000 people. Things were great, and then they weren't. And then they weren't. Oil dropped down, and many people were introduced to their own personal living hell because oil perished, and then so did their hope. So did their hope. Listen, dead hopes, they're going to give you living hells. I really need you to hear that. Dead hopes, hoping in perishable things, hoping in the things around you, will eventually, if not immediately, will eventually give you a living hell. And it doesn't have to be a financial drop. It could be something like the, the 2008 housing crisis. It could be COVID. It could be a spouse's death. It could be a cancer diagnosis. It could be the fact that you're realizing maybe that your marriage isn't what you had hoped it would be, that the career that you chose isn't what you had hoped it would be, that your body isn't performing the way you hoped that it would, that the nation you live in is not going to look like you hoped it would look. How is a scattered church of exiles expected to live in a world that's just not going to give you what you want? It's not going to give us what we want. Let's look again at the passage that Charlie read or that you actually read with her. It's in 1 Peter, and if you turn there, this is going to be the passage that's going to lift the most weight for us today and show us Christ incredibly clear today. Verse 3, and we're just going to read to verse 9, and then we're going to pause. 
Peter said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pause. Last week we talked about how home is different for those of us. This is home, but it's not home. Here he's talking about how hope is different for us. It's living. It's no longer dead. But what does that even mean, right? This is all it means. Before you are born again, and it's the phrase he's using here, your hopes were dead because your hopes were anchored in the perishable things around us. Anything that would be laterally around you. Everything that I had from my truck to my health the nation I live in, everything that I have is going to end someday. It's going to rot or rust or fade. It's not kept forever. Everything has an expiration date on it. Perishable things can only generate perishable hopes. Perishable things can only give you perishable hopes. That was before people are born again. But when we are born again, Jesus gives us a gift. You actually get a lot of things. You get all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly place, as Paul says in Ephesians. You get a bunch of treasures. You become justified. The Spirit sanctifies you. You become righteous. You get the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You get a new family. You get, there, there are a lot of things that you are given as a gift. One of them is you get a new hope, a living one, a living hope. It will not fade, will not rot, will not rust. And this inheritance that he's talking about, what is this living hope? It's more of God. It's God and more of God. And let me tell you, when you find more of God, it's the happiest, most peaceful, most joyful thing that you can get is more of God. It's where he is most glorified. It's where you're going to find your deepest peace. More of God. And how do we have this? He says we have it through the resurrection of Jesus. Now listen, it sounds like a lot of big, long spiritual words crammed together in a run-on sentence whenever you're reading it. It can get easy, be easy to get lost in a passage like this, but there is a very straight line between the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and your living hope. They are connected. I mean, here it is. We know that all of God's children, his church, capital C, and if you love Jesus you are part of this church. We know that for all of God's children, we will be resurrected one day like Jesus was. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says that Jesus has been raised from the dead and he is the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep, right? That just means he went first, we'll follow after, right? So yeah, we'll be resurrected. But Luke, that's one day in the future. Like that's in the future. That could be 50 years from now. It could be a million years from now. It's not today. But what I want you to see is that when you become a Christian, when you become born again, this resurrection power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you immediately. 
All of it. Not a portion of it, all of it. You were invaded by the fullness of God's spirit, this resurrection power. This is how Paul says in Romans 8, he speaks of this, and he says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You get all of it. Not a down payment, not a portion. The same power that resurrected a dead king will be the same power of God that will resurrect a dead cosmos. Is the same spirit of God and resurrection power that finds the Christian. Now listen, our responses to salvation, that might be a little different. The work of God, not different. This might be helpful for some of you. There is a a variety of responses to salvation. Not everybody responds to salvation the same. I mean, some of us, we have subtle responses to it, right? Maybe it's your personality. Maybe it's the way you grew up. Maybe it's where the gospel caught you in life. I mean, if you're a person in here and you grew up in a church home, all you knew were words from the Bible. I mean, your earliest memories are your parents talking about Jesus and these concepts. If you grew up in it, it might be hard for you to pinpoint a day or a moment where God did something very real in your life. It's just you just kind of look at your life now and you know you're a Christian. And maybe that's frustrated you a little bit, that you can't pinpoint the day. Maybe it's even been a concern for you. It was for me, and I'd hear teachers, especially in the 90s, say that you should know the exact moment because it's such a powerful work that happens in you that you should know exactly when it happened to you or, hear me now, it did not happen to you. Friends, listen, I don't agree with that, and the Bible does not support that anywhere. People are different. There's a variety of responses. Even in the New Testament, we see a variety of responses. I can't pinpoint when in 1996 I became radically born again, but I I, I can't pick the day out the second that that happened. And my personality was a lot more subtle than a lot of my friends who were very emotive. There were lots of emotion going all over the place. I just wasn't very emotive. I was an executive. I made big sweeping decisions, meaningful, huge decisions that, that my emotive friends did not make but our responses were not the same. Responses are not the same. You know, there is no single way to behave that should be imposed on everybody. So if that's something you struggle with in life, let, let that at least help you. And if you're raising kids, know that they're not all gonna re- respond to the gospel the same, okay? But the work of God in all of us is exactly the same. The work of God in all of us is exactly the same and it is an incredible work. And that work does produce change over time, okay? A resurrected Jesus, it means a resurrected life, which for you and me today, according to this passage, means a resurrected hope, a living hope. Because dead hopes are gonna bring living hells, but a living Jesus brings us a living hope. That's the calculus of it. Dead hopes are gonna bring a living hell, but a living Jesus will bring us a living hope. So the question I have to ask myself is, why do I keep pinning my hopes in perishable things? Why do I keep doing that? Why do I keep investing all of my expectations in things around me that are going to rot and rust and fade and end someday? And the answer is, is I don't trust that God will meet my needs. I don't totally trust in those moments that God is the answer to all of my hopes. And this is just what I got from my father, Adam. 
He didn't believe that God was the answer to all of his longings, so he misplaced his hopes. Moved them from God himself to creation and even to himself. And we've been doing the same broken exercise ever since. And this is the way it works. If I want significance in this world, and we can all agree, that's not a horrible hope to be significant, to, to matter, to, to live on this planet and have your life matter for something. That's not a bad hope, right? But I will be tempted to anchor that hope in work or my social media influence or my friends, my achievements, my reputation. I will be tempted to relocate my hopes from God to those things if what I want is significance. Or security. Security would be the same thing. If what I want is to be secure, to, to be stable, to last, it's going to be easy for me to relocate the hopes from the Lord into, again, work, right? Or my health, or my marriage, or my friends, or any of these things. Significance and security, they're not bad hopes. They're not. But when we pin those hopes on what is perishable, we will eventually find a living hell. The entirety of this world is perishable. And when things perish and our hopes die, we end up suffering. And this is why I think he starts approaching and addressing suffering. It sounds like maybe an odd time to bring it up as you read through this passage several times. But what suffering will do is it will actually reveal to you where your dead hopes have been placed. And it will refine your adoration of your living hope. It will do both. It will do both at the same time. That's what suffering does. It acts as a fire that burns off of purities. Listen, I, I know jack about metallurgy. I'm not a, a metallurgist, right? But I, do, I know that if you put metal in a fire, like a really hot one, like burn your face off hot, apparently it burns all the impurities out, and then the metal gets more valuable. And so it is with suffering. And is that not what it feels like, right? Suffering stinks. That's why it's called suffering, <laughs> It's not fun. It's always painful, no matter what. But it won't destroy you unless you have your hopes pinned in something perishable. If you have a dead hope, it would be very different. One of the most descriptive moments of suffering ever recorded in your Bible is David in Psalm 22. So descriptive is this suffering that Jesus quotes from it when he is suffering from the cross. Right? And it says this in Psalm 22, this is King David, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. What you need to know about David is his friends were gone. His health was gone. His power base was gone. His support, gone. Wealth, gone. His will to fight was gone. His sleep is gone, but his living hope is still there. He's suffering, but he's carrying that living hope with him the whole time. You'll know this as you continue to read Psalm 22. By the time he gets to the end of the psalm, it's a robust worship song. The ending lyrics are those of worship. He had a living hope. And when he came out of this, he was very different. He was different. Listen, this is what tragedies do to us. They tear a hole in us. It can feel like the whole world is slipping away. 
And in that moment, God is carving away dead hopes because he loves you. And he's refining your dependence on one single living hope for your good. This is what he's doing. They tear a hole in us. And you've felt this, right? Haven't you, haven't you ever gotten through like a tragedy that you just thought was going to end you? You thought, this is it for me. I've had them. Where, where, where in your mind you're thinking, I don't know that I can recover from this. This isn't really a game-ending injury. It's more of a career-ending injury. I don't know if I can recover from this. Just to realize later on that you could. And all of a sudden you realize that you see God with more glory and you hold on to this world a little bit looser. This is what those types of sufferings will do. And 2020 has done that for a lot of people. 2020 for you and the sufferings that it brought in tow likely either put you in the ground or it made your God more vibrant. It either made your God smaller or made your God bigger. Straight talk. Suffering is going to take some good things from you. And when this happens, you might not have realized how much hope you put in those things that you lost, person, place, or thing. You might not have realized it. In fact, only after things collapsed did you realize how important it was where you ask yourself, why am I acting like this? Why can't I sleep? Why am I so stressed out? Why am I so paralyzed? It's because suffering is painful, but it's not supposed to destroy you. It won't destroy you unless you attach your hope into the things that are perishable. There's a story that might help you. I didn't come up with the story. I don't know who to attribute it to, though. It's not mine, right? It's a story of a lumberjack coming up to chop a tree down and finds a bird up in this tree making a nest. I don't know what kind of bird. I don't know that matters. Fill in your own favorite bird, right? It can't be a penguin or an ostrich, I guess. So maybe you need to, a bird, okay, eagle, a bald eagle, right? Bald eagle up there making a nest. And the lumberjack says, I don't want him to get comfortable or her to get comfortable making this nest, so I'm just going to make it uncomfortable for the bird. So instead of chopping the tree down, he kind of flips the axe over and bangs on it with the broad side of the axe, and the bird is uncomfortable, the bird is annoyed, the bird feels persecuted, I'm sure, flies off to another tree, starts building another nest. Next day, the lumberjack comes and realizes, i got to cut that tree down too. So he does the same thing, flips the axe over, bangs on the tree, the eagle gets angry, the eagle feels persecuted, inconvenience, flies off, and builds a nest up on a cliffside, right? And the whole time, this eagle feels persecuted. Listen. All the trees of this world are coming down. Every tree is coming down. You live in a perishable world, friends. Everything. Let this be a warning for some of you. Continue to place your deepest hopes in perishable places, and suffering will bury you. It will bury you. Because perishable things generate perishable hopes, and that's just going to bring you a living hell. But there's very good news for those of us who are sick of heart, as the proverb says. Good news for all of us. Jesus perished to give us something imperishable. It was, he faded from humanity to where people couldn't even recognize him so that you would have an unfading hope. He became defiled by our hands upon the cross so that he could give us something that is undefiled. And this living hope, it's a gift. It's a gift. Understand how good he is to you when I say it's a gift. You can't muster up hope. You can't stir it up. You can't manufacture more hope 
is something he gives to you, kind of like trust or faith. Whenever you trust God for something deep or you have faith in God, you got to know you didn't do that. You're not that clever. It's not because you read the right passage at the right time. He gives it to you. It's a gift he has given us. And when our hope is invested in God, it is guarded forever. Listen, you will lose things in this world. People, places, moments, dreams, but you will not lose God. Our living hope is that we will have him and more of him with compounding interest, more and more and more. And he is unfading, undefiled, and imperishable forever and ever. And this changes suffering completely. This changes suffering completely. I might be confused or sad that I've lost something, but I won't be confused who will never leave me? Not once. Let's go on to finish it in verse 10. The last two verses. Concerning this salvation. Now he just got done preaching the gospel or an angle of the gospel. And he continues, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ in the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Okay, interesting. Concerning this gospel that we've been talking about, this good news for you and me, the perishable, of Christ, the imperishable, who will come and live and die and live again, giving us the fullness of the Spirit, the same Spirit, by the way, that hovered over the waters in Genesis 1 while it was chaotic and brought form to creation, the same Spirit, by the way, that led Christ into the wilderness, the same Spirit that raised him from the tomb, the same Spirit that breathed through the church in Acts that started the church, the same Spirit that gives you a new heart, one that feels It's one that brings us hope. Same spirit. This gospel, the prophets were talking about. And they didn't even understand what they were saying totally. They would get done prophesying and then they would go back and investigate what they said. Look at maybe their own writings, maybe the Old Testament or at least the chunks of the Old Testament they had at the time. And they would look for more detail. I mean, I just want you to imagine Isaiah prophesying and then getting to the 53rd chapter where he talks about a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Only later on, maybe at dinner, to go, what was that about? What could that have been talking about? Who is that guy? Is he alive? Was he there? I've got so many questions. So he goes and he investigates and he hunts. And what does God tell him? No, no, no. That's for a different people. It's for you. It's for you and me. Isaiah walked around with half of a Polaroid. We have the whole panoramic view. We have the whole gospel before us. And this gospel, even the angels long to know more. They peer, even today, even this morning, they peer into humanity, looking, hungry to absorb, ready to applaud, ready to celebrate what the gospel does when it collides with mankind in a broken creation. You can't divert their attention. They're so glued to the screen, I guess you can say. I mean, angels have been around for a while, right? 
thousands of years, millions of years, I don't know, a while. They've been around for a while, longer than any of us, and they still long to see how the gospel plays itself out. Interesting. When the gospel leads you to lay down an addiction, listen, not because it's the right thing to do, but because you are free from that addiction, and God is better than whatever you've put in that block, right? So whenever you, by the power of the gospel, put down an addiction or mend your marriage because now you're going to serve your spouse instead of domineer over your spouse, whenever the gospel leads you to abandon shame, to put it down and to live free and to worship free and to be free, they are absorbed in the moment, the angels. They applaud those moments and they want to see how it works out. They want to see and they can't wait to see how the gospel looks as it marches through Knoxville. Listen, when you find yourself bored with the gospel, you've got to know it's not the gospel you're bored with. Maybe religion, maybe bad preaching, right? But it's not the gospel. And the angels are longing for more and more, not less. Ask yourself if you're just bored with the gospel. It's a different sermon. But as we're getting close to ending this, Proverbs 13, I'm going to give you the back half of that passage. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but I didn't give you the rest of it when we started this off. It finishes with, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. A desire fulfilled. That means a hope that is met. An expectation that is satisfied will bring life that will bring life that will bring life. Friends, listen, all of your desires and hopes are met in Christ. To be known to be secure, to be approved, to be significant, to be connected, to be unashamed. All of these hopes are good hopes, and they are found in Christ. 2 Corinthians 4 says something that's going to be helpful. You can stay where you're at. I'm going to read it to you in verse 16. It's Paul, and he says to a young church, not too different from ours, he says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Boy, he sounds a lot like Peter in this passage. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You can lose everything in this world and lose absolutely nothing. You can lose everything in this world and lose absolutely nothing. And if you are in Christ, this world, it's as bad as it's going to get for you. It only gets better. If you're searching or you're skeptic or you'd say you do not love Christ, you need to know that this world is as good as it's going to get for you. That's the difference. So the question we're going to chase into the ending here is, what do you need to change for you to get what you really want in this life? What is it you're waiting for to change? The voice of dead hope will tell you that one day you will be satisfied when this thing happens. When Bob retires and you get his cubicle, I guess. Or when your spouse finally does what your spouse is supposed to do. One day, one day, living hope says something different. It says even though everything perishes and the mountains melt and crumble before your eyes, you will not be forsaken because the inheritance you have is guarded unfading, undefiled, and imperishable. Friends, listen, here, just some 
application. Who are you in proximity with that needs to be reminded of everything that we've talked about today? And who do you have in your life that's reminding you of this? Who's reminding you? I'm in community just like you. I've got some great guys that I meet with. And a lot of the time, we're just hanging out. We're talking. We're being guys, sharing our lives with each other. But also a lot of time is spent being reminded that the expectations we place in this world are misplaced and need to be relocated. The hopes that we have might be in what is perishable. And what I really want is found in an imperishable Christ. I have to have people remind me of this. I have to. One of the concerns that I had since March that has just been growing and growing and growing is that as we isolate physically, so many are isolating spiritually. Isolating relationally. Listen, that's, that's what the enemy of the soul wants. He wants you to be as alone as possible whenever the world comes apart. The enemy who hates you and wants to steal, kill, and destroy wants you to be alone when your hopes crumble. That's what he wants, right? I get it. Zoom is lame. I'm with you. I'm on it more than most. The phone's just not the same. Heard. Isolation is worse. Being alone right now is worse. Let me just challenge you. As I've been saying like a broken record, reach out if you are not in community. Even if it's just a phone call. Even if what community means for you right now is a phone call. Studies have proven no one has ever gotten COVID from a phone call, right? Test me in that. Just a phone call. Just to say, I think you need to know this about me right now. I'm feeling alone. I'm struggling through this. Tell, tell me what I'm not, t- tell me what I need to hear. Stir each other up, remind each other of hope. Listen, if that's you and you don't have anyone to connect with, find us. You can find us at the same number. Can you put that number back up there? Text and just say connect. If you just need somebody, if you don't have anyone to call, you can find us online as well. Text that line and say connect. But also, just as missionaries, you need to know that your neighbors who are far from Christ right? They have sick hearts. Their hopes have been deferred, crushed, collapsed, and just done away with. They have sick hearts. Do not tell them it'll all work out for them. That's a lie. It's bad advice. It might not work out for them. It might get a lot worse. I know why you say that. We say that because we want them to feel good in that moment. We, we, we don't like it when people feel rough around us. So we, uh, it'll all work out. Things will get back to normal. It'll be okay. Say a lot of things, don't say that. Don't say that. Show them the gospel of a living hope, a hope that is guarded and will not suffer in a pandemic or a weird election cycle, right? Because listen, if you're listening to me now, whether you're online or you're sitting here and you are far from Christ, maybe you would say you're not a Christian, can we both agree that the heart can get awfully sick There really is no feeling to compare with one where all your hopes have just come apart. It's suffocating. But let me just repeat, all of your desires are met in Christ. He who perished for you offers something imperishable. cannot be stripped away from you. It's guarded. So just submit that you would ask God for a new birth. Ask God for this gift of a living hope. Ask God for the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit that lifted even Jesus from a dark tomb. Ask God for his very spirit. Because a desire fulfilled 
is a tree of life. It's a tree of life. Go ahead and stand with me. And as we celebrate one day, God's people will have their inheritance. I mean, an inheritance isn't a carrot on a stick. We will get it one day. And the only thing that's going to fade and perish is going to be our memory of suffering. Think about that. You will forget what pain feels like. Your hearts will no longer be sick. Your desire will finally be fulfilled. And every second before the glory of your king will be better than the second before. And every second will get better and better forever and ever and ever. Amen? So much to have hope for. We're going to take communion together, and then the team's going to come out and lead us through the tail end of our service. If you're a guest with us, typically we leave these elements in the back for you to take on your own with your family. Obviously, we're not doing that um, because of COVID, so we have these little rip and sip cups. Somebody's going to bring a, a bucket of these in here. If you neglected to get one of these and want to take communion with us, you just raise your hand and they will get one to you. Can somebody go and grab those? Someone usually does. They usually intuit that that's where we're going. And listen, if you're a Christian and you're not a part of Legacy, we're totally excited for you to take part in this communion with us today. If you are not a Christian, don't sweat this. Don't sweat. You're not expected to know what all of this means. And it's not expected to be significant to you in this moment, to be honest with you. What I would hope that you would do is pray about submitting yourself to Christ, to taking Christianity, to taking this living hope and this resurrection power that we're talking about. Does anyone need a, raise your hand if you need, everyone's got one. Everyone's got it down to a a rhythm now to grab these on the way in. So let's pray through this together. Father, we thank you for being so good and so kind to us that you would break your body. And it's not just some random third person defiled you on the cross. That was my sin. My sin defiled you on the cross. You perished because of me, because of what I did. My sin, you took. So you broke your body. And and we take this in remembrance of the radical nature of your gospel. And Father, your blood was spilt. It was spilt. Your life was not preserved so that mine would be. So Father, we, we don't just look at this as juice, even though it's just juice. It's a memorial It's a symbol of power. Father, that you bled out and you drained your life down to the last drop, that we would experience joy and life and hope. So tired of our hopes failing. And the one hope that we really have is to enjoy you forever. And you made this possible through your spilt blood. So we take this in remembrance of you as well. And so, Father, as we go into worship, I know a lot of people that are going to sing, they came in with a sick heart. In all honesty, just putting this sermon together, I realize my heart is still sick in some areas too. Over the last year, I realized that some of the good hopes I had were put in some perishable areas. And because you were so kind and so thoughtful and so good to us, you burned it off. You purified us. So, Father, as we suffer through different things, and we see our hopes come crashing down or deferred or kicked down the street, Lord, show us what it is that you are refining in our life. 
I just pray that even in this moment as we worship and as we pray, that you show us, yes, that suffering is supposed to reveal something, that you would show us what it's supposed to reveal. Where is it that we misplaced our hopes? And I know some of us aren't just sick of heart. Some of us are in the middle of a living hell. And the deepest things we hope for are crashing to the ground. Lord, that you would, even in this moment, with the power of your spirit, change our hearts. That we would see you as our one singular living hope, the hope above all hopes, unfading, imperishable, cannot be defiled, cannot be stolen, and that we would attach our hope to you, that we would renew that hope even today, that even though the whole world falls apart, even though our nation might be falling apart, and our marriages falling apart, and our health falling apart, and our finances falling apart, we have you. Lord, you are so good to us. And I pray for those who are listening, watching, Father, that are far from you. Lord, that they would even test you in asking for a spirit to reveal to them. Lord, that your spirit would take the heart of stone and put a heart of flesh in its place. Father, that you would show them how everything that they've trusted in has done nothing but disappoint them, lied to them. And Father, that the hope that you bring to them is what they've always wanted. It's the answer to the the, the formula that could never be balanced. Lord, that you would show yourself kind and close. I ask, Lord, that you would make this a church that is in community with each other. Whether we're face-to-face or on a phone, I know it's different. But we're scattered, Lord. That you would renew a desire in us to be firmly planted in community. And that we would be missionaries to a disenfranchised and detached city. That you would put a growing passion for Knoxville in our hearts, Lord. That we would see our neighbors anew. We'd see them differently. And instead of just listening to their hopes come crashing down, we would have a message to minister to them, Lord. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you. We give this moment to you. Change our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.